Section 4 of The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. Translated by Hastings Crossley. Aphorisms. 66 through 90. 66. If I show you that you lack just what is most important and necessary to happiness, that hitherto your attention has been bestowed on everything rather than which claims it most, and, to crown all, that you know neither what God nor man is, neither what good or evil is. Why, that you are ignorant of everything else, perhaps you may bear to be told. But to hear that you know nothing of yourself, how could you submit to that? How could you stand your ground and suffer that to be proved? Clearly not at all. You instantly turn away in wrath. Yet what harm have I done to you? Unless indeed the mirror harms the ill-favored man by showing him to himself, just as he is. Unless the physician can be thought to insult his patient when he tells him. Friend, do you suppose there is nothing wrong with you? Why, you have a fever. Eat nothing today, and drink only water. Yet no one says, what an insufferable insult. Whereas, if you say to a man, your desires are inflamed, your instincts of rejection are weak and low, your aims are inconsistent, your impulses are not in harmony with nature, your opinions are rash and false. He forthwith goes away and complains that you have insulted him. 67. Our way of life resembles a fair. The flocks and herds are passing along to be sold, and the greater part of the crowd to buy and sell. But there are some few who come only to look at the fair, to inquire how and why it is being held upon what authority, and with what object. So, too, in this great fair of life, some, like the cattle, trouble themselves about nothing but the fodder. No, all of you, who are busied about land, slaves, and public posts, that these are nothing but fodder. Some few there are attending the fair, who love to contemplate what the world is, and he that administers it. Can there be no administrator? Is it possible that while neither city nor household could endure even a moment without one to administer and see to its welfare, this fabric, so fair, so vast, should be administered in order so harmonious, without a purpose and by blind chance? There is therefore an administrator. What is his nature, and how does he administer? And who are we, that are his children, and what work were we born to perform? Have we any close connection or relation with him, or not? Such are the impressions of the few of whom I speak. And further, they apply themselves solely to considering and examining the great assembly before they depart. Well, they are derided by the multitude. So are the onlookers by the traitors. I 
and if the beasts had any sense, they would deride those who thought much of anything but fodder. 68. I think I now know what I never knew before, the meaning of the common saying, A fool you can neither bend nor break. Pray heaven I may never have a wise fool for my friend. There is nothing more intractable. My resolve is fixed. Why, so madmen say too. But the more firmly they believe in their delusions, the more they stand in need of treatment. 69. Oh, when shall I see Athens in its Acropolis again? Miserable man! Art thou not contented with the daily sights that meet thine eyes? Canst thou behold aught greater or nobler than the sun, moon, and the stars? Then thou outspread earth, and see. If indeed thou apprehendest him who administers the universe, if thou bearest him about within thee, canst thou still hanker after mere fragments of stone and fine rock? When thou art about to bid farewell to the sun and moon itself, Wilt thou sit down and cry like a child? Why, what didst thou hear? What didst thou learn? Why didst thou write thyself down a philosopher, when thou mightest have written, what was the fact? Namely, I have made one or two compendiums, I have read some works of Chrysippus, and I have not even touched the hem of philosophy's robe. 70. Friend, Lay hold with a desperate grasp, ere it is too late, on freedom, on tranquillity, on greatness of soul. Lift up thy head, as one escaped from slavery. Dare to look up to God, and say, Deal with me henceforth as thou wilt. Thou and I are of one mind. I am thine. I refuse nothing that seeth good to thee. Lead on whither thou wilt. Clothe me in what garb thou pleasest. Wilt thou have me a ruler, or a subject, at home or in exile, poor or rich? All these things will I justify unto men for thee. I will show the true nature of each. Who would Hercules have been, had he loitered at home? No Hercules, but Aristheus. And in his wanderings through the world, how many friends and comrades did he find? But nothing dearer to him than God. Wherefore he was believed to be God's son, as indeed he was. So then, in obedience to him, he went about delivering the earth from injustice and lawlessness. But thou art not Hercules, thou sayest, and canst not deliver others from their iniquity. Not even Theseus, to deliver the soil of Attica from its monsters? Purge away thine own, cast forth thence from thine own mind, not robbers and monsters, but fear, desire, envy, malignity, avarice, effeminacy, intemperance. And these may not be cast out except by looking to God alone, by fixing thy affections on him only, and by consecrating thyself to his commands. If thou choosest aught else, with sighs and groans, thou wilt be forced to follow a might greater than thine own, ever seeking tranquillity without, and never able to attain unto her. 
for thou seekest her where she is not to be found, and where she is, thou seekest her not. 71. If a man would pursue philosophy, his first task is to throw away conceit. For it is impossible for a man to begin to learn what he has a conceit that he already knows. 72. Give me but one young man that has come to the school with this intention, who stands forth a champion of this cause, and says, All else I renounce, content if I am but able to pass my life free from hindrance and trouble, to raise my head aloft and face all things as a free man, to look up to heaven as a friend of God, fearing nothing that may come to pass. Point out such a one to me that I may say, Enter, young man, into possession of that which is thine own, for thy lot is to adorn philosophy. Thine are these possessions, thine these books, these discourses. And when our champion has duly exercised himself in this part of the subject, I hope he will come back to me and say, What I desire is to be free from passion and perturbation, as one who grudges no pains in the pursuit of piety and philosophy. What I desire is to know my duty to the gods, my duty to my parents, to my brothers, to my country, to strangers. Enter, then, on the second part of the subject. It is thine also. But I have already mastered the second part, only I wish to stand firm and unshaken, as firm when asleep as when awake, as firm when elated with wine, as in despondency and dejection. Friend, you are verily a god. You cherish great designs. 73. The question at stake, said Epictetus, is no common one. It is this. Are we in our senses, or are we not? 74. If you have given way to anger, be sure that over and above the evil involved therein, you have strengthened the habit, and added fuel to the fire. If overcome by a temptation of the flesh, do not reckon it as single defeat, but that you have also strengthened your dissolute habits. Habits and faculties are necessarily affected by the corresponding acts. Those that were not there before spring up. The rest gain in strength and extent. This is the account which philosophers give the origin of diseases of the mind. Suppose you have once lusted after money. If reason sufficient to produce a sense of evil be applied, then the lust is checked, and the mind at once regains its original authority. Whereas if you have recourse to no remedy, you can no longer look for this return. On the contrary, the next time it is excited by the corresponding object, the flame of desire leaps up more quickly than before. By frequent repetition, the mind in the long run becomes callous, and thus this mental disease produces confirmed avarice. One who has had fever, even when it has left him, is not in the same condition of health as before, unless indeed his cure is complete. Something of the same sort is true also of diseases of the mind. Behind, there remains a legacy of traces and blisters, and unless these are effectually erased, Subsequent blows on the same spot will produce no longer mere blisters, but sores. If you do not wish to be prone to anger, do not feed the habit. Give it nothing which may tend its increase. At first, 
keep quiet and count the days when you were not angry. I used to be angry every day, then every other day, next every two, next every three days. And if you succeed in passing thirty days, sacrifice to the gods in thanksgiving. 75. How then may this be attained? Resolve, now, if never before, to approve thyself to thyself. Resolve to show thyself fair in God's sight. Long to be pure with thine own pure self and God. 76. That is the true athlete that trains himself to resist such outward impressions as these. Stay, wretched man, suffer not thyself to be carried away. Great is the combat, divine the task. You are fighting for kingship, for liberty, for happiness, for tranquility. Remember God, call upon him to aid thee, like a comrade that stands beside thee in the fight. 77. Who then is a Stoic? In the sense that we call a statue of Phidias, which is modeled after that master's art, show me a man in this sense, modeled after the doctrines that are ever upon his lips. Show me a man that is sick and happy, an exile and happy, an evil rapport and happy. Show me him, I ask again. So help me heaven, I long to see one stoic. Nay, if you cannot show me one fully modeled, let me at least see one in whom the process is at work, one who's bent in that direction. Do me that favor. Grudge it not to an old man, to behold a sight he has never yet beheld. Think you I wish to see the Zeus, or Athena, of Phidias, bedecked with gold and ivory? Nay, show me one of you, a human soul, desiring to be of one mind with God, no more to lay blame on God or man, to suffer nothing to disappoint, nothing to cross him, to yield neither to anger, envy, nor jealousy. In a word, why disguise the matter? One that from a man would fan become a god. One that while still imprisoned in this dead body makes fellowship with God his aim. Show me him. Ah, you cannot. Then why mock yourselves and delude others? Why stalk about tricked out in other men's attire? Thieves and robbers that you are of names and things to which you can show no title. 78. If you have assumed a character beyond your strength, you have both played a poor figure in that, and neglected one that is within your powers. 79. Fellow, you have come to blows at home with a slave. You have turned the household upside down, and thrown the neighborhood into confusion. And do you come to me, then, with airs of assumed modesty? Do you sit down, like a sage, and criticize my explanation of the readings? and whatever idle babble you say has come into my head? Have you come full of envy, and dejected, because nothing is sent you from home? And while the discussion is going on, do you sit brooding on nothing but how your father or your brother are disposed towards you? What are they saying about me there? At this moment they imagine I am making progress in saying, He will return perfectly omniscient. I wish I could become omniscient before I return but that would be very troublesome. 
No one sends me anything. The baths at Necropolis are dirty. Things are wretched at home and wretched here. And then say, Nobody is any the better for the school. Who comes to the school with a sincere wish to learn, to submit his principles to correction and himself to treatment? Who, to gain a sense of his wants? Why then be surprised if you carry home from the school exactly what you bring into it? 80. Epictetus, I have often come desiring to hear you speak, and you have never given me any answer. Now, if possible, I entreat you, say something to me. Is there, do you think, replied Epictetus, an art of speaking as of other things, if it is to be done skillfully and with profit to the hearer? Yes. And are all profited by what they hear, or only some among them? so that it seems there is an art of hearing as well as of speaking. To make a statue needs skill. To view a statue aright needs skill also. Admitted. And I think all will allow that one who proposes to hear philosophers speak needs a considerable training in hearing. Is that not so? Then tell me on what subject you are able to hear me. Why, on good and evil. The good and evil of what? A horse? An ox? No, of a man. Do we know, then, what man is? What his nature is? What is the idea we have of him? And are our ears practiced in any degree on the subject? Nay, do you understand what nature is? Can you follow me in any degree when I say that I shall have to use demonstration? Do you understand what demonstration is? What true or false is? Must I drive you to philosophy? Show me what good I am to do by discoursing with you. Rouse my desire to do so. The sight of a pasture it loves stirs in a sheep the desire to feed. Show it a stone or a bit of bread, and it remains unmoved. Thus we also have certain natural desires. I and one that moves us to speak when we find a listener that is worth his salt, one that himself stirs the spirit. But if he sits by like a stone or a tuft of grass, how can he rouse a man's desire? Then will you say nothing to me? I can only tell you this, that one who knows not who he is and to what end he was born, what kind of world this is, and with whom he is associated therein, one cannot distinguish good and evil, beauty and foulness, truth and falsehood, will never follow reason in shaping his desires and impulses and repulsions, nor yet in assent, denial, or suspension of judgment, but will, in one word, go about deaf and blind, thinking himself to be somewhat, when he is in truth of no account. Is there anything new in all this? Is not this ignorance the cause of all the mistakes and mischances of men since the human race began? This is all I have to say to you, and even this against the grain. Why? Because you have not stirred my spirit. For what can I see in you to stir me? As a spirited horse will stir a judge of horses? Your body? That you maltreat. 
Your dress? That is luxurious. Your behavior? Your look? Nothing whatever. When you want to hear a philosopher, do not say, You say nothing to me. Only show yourself worthy or fit to hear. And then you will see how you will move the speaker. 81. And now, when you see brothers apparently good friends and living in accord, do not immediately pronounce anything upon their friendship, though they should affirm it with an oath, though they should declare, For us to live apart in a thing, impossible. For the heart of a bad man is faithless, unprincipled, inconstant, now overpowered by one impression, now by another. Ask not the usual questions. Were they born of the same parents, reared together, and under the same tutor? But ask this only, in what they place their real interest, whether in outward things or in the will. If in outward things, call them not friends, any more than faithful, constant, brave, or free. Call them not even human beings, if you have any sense. But should you hear that these men hold the good to lie only in the will, only in rightly dealing with the things of sense, take no more trouble to inquire whether they are father and son or brothers, or comrades of long standing. But, sure of this one thing, pronounce as boldly that they are friends, as that they are faithful and just. For where else can friendship be found than where modesty is? Where there is an interchange of things fair and honest, and of such only? 82. No man can rob us of our will. No man can lord over that. 83. When disease and death overtake me, I would fain be found engaged in the task of liberating mine own will from the assaults of passion, from hindrance, from resentment, from slavery. Thus would I fain be found employed, so that I may say to God, Have I in aught transgressed thy commands? Have I in aught perverted the faculties, the senses, the natural principles that thou didst give me? Have I ever blamed thee, or found fault with thine administration? When it was thy good pleasure, I fell sick, and so did other men. By my will consented. Because it was thine pleasure, I became poor, but my heart rejoiced. No power in the state was mine, because thou wouldest not. Such power I never desired. Hast thou ever seen me of more doleful countenance on that account? Have I not ever drawn nigh unto thee, with cheerful look, waiting upon thy commands, attentive to thy signals? Wilt thou that I now depart from the great assembly of men? I go. I give thee all thanks, that thou hast deemed me worthy to take part with thee in this assembly, to behold thy works, to comprehend this, thine administration. Such I would were the subject of my thoughts, my pen, my study, when death overtakes me. 84. Seemeth it nothing to you, never to accuse, never to blame either God or man? To wear ever the same countenance in going forth as in coming in? This was the secret of Socrates. Yet he never said that he knew or taught anything. 
who amongst you makes this his aim? Were it indeed so, you would gladly endure sickness, hunger, ay, death itself. 85. How are we constituted by nature? To be free, to be noble, to be modest. For what other living thing is capable of blushing, or of feeling the impression of shame? And to subordinate pleasure to the ends for which nature designed us, as a handmaid and a minister in order to call forth our activity, in order to keep us constant to the path prescribed by nature. 86. The husbandman deals with land, physicians and trainers with the body, the wise man with his own mind. Which of us does not admire what Lycurgus the Spartan did? A young citizen had put out his eye, and been handed over to him by the people to be punished at his own discretion. Lycurgus abstained from all vengeance, but, on the contrary, instructed and made a good man of him. Producing him in public, in the theater, he said to the astonished Spartans, I received this young man at your hands, full of violence and wanton insolence. I restore him to you, in his right mind, and fit to serve his country. 88. A money-changer may not reject Caesar's coin, nor may the seller of herbs. But when once the coin is shown, deliver what is sold for it, whether he will or no. So it is also with the soul. Once the good appears, it attracts towards itself, evil repels. But a clear and certain impression of the good the soul will never reject, any more than men do Caesar's coin. On this hangs every impulse alike of man and God. 89. Asked what common sense was, Epictetus replied, As that may be called a common ear which distinguishes only sounds, while that which distinguishes musical notes is not common but produced by training, so there are certain things which men not entirely perverted see by natural principles common to all. Such a constitution of mind is called common sense. 90. Canst thou judge men? Then make us imitators of thyself, as Socrates did. Do this, do not do that, else I will cast thee into prison. This is not governing men like reasonable creatures. Say rather, as God hath ordained, so do else thou wilt suffer chastisement and loss. Askest thou what loss? None other than this, to have left undone what thou shouldest have done, to have lost the faithfulness, the reverence, the modesty that is in thee. Greater loss than this seek not to find. End of section 4 This recording is in the public domain.